In today's message, it's the final week of our series titled Home. In this series, we've been exploring what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and how that fleshes out in our local body at Broadmoor. So far, we've talked about our mission, our values, and our strategy as a church. This week, Pastor Josh focuses on our outcomes, or put differently, how do we measure our progress and know when we're hitting the mark? It's our prayer that God would use this time to show us more of himself and shape us as we hear from his word. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Great. If you have your Bibles, would you open to the book of Colossians? Colossians 3 is our text for today. Uh, As you are turning there, I I want to to remind us we are in this sermon series called Home. Uh, And in the idea behind the whole series, it's four weeks long. This is our fourth week together. Uh, and, And the goal for this whole series is to to take a deeper look into this church family. Because no doubt, we we have seen God do great and mighty things over these last four weeks together. Things that we know about and things that we just trust that he is doing. I remember one of my favorite authors and and even pastors, John Piper, uh, was quoted as saying this years ago. In this moment, God is doing 3,000 things and we're aware of like two of them. And I believe that. I believe that that God is working in your hearts and in your lives in ways that you see and you can appreciate and you give him all glory and honor praise for. But there are countless other ways that our Father's sovereign hand is moving you and guiding you and holding you and sustaining you in ways that you will never know this side of eternity. And so as we jump into this last message, This is going to be more of the practical side of these four weeks. And and I think this is going to be one of your favorites. It is my favorite because I like practical. I want to walk into a place, you tell me what is required, and then I want to do my best to meet those requirements. So so that's kind of where we, we are today. But before we jump into that, the outcomes, the expectations, just a reminder of where we've been. We've looked at the first week at our mission. We are a united family of faith, joining Jesus on his mission for the glory of God and the good of our communities. And then we talked about our strategy, and then we talked about our values. And today, we kind of answer the question, how do you know if we're going to be effective in doing any of those three things? How do we know six months from now, one year from now, five years from now, that we are doing this the right way in a way that is bringing glory to God and good to our communities? Well, hopefully today we will answer some of those questions with with the outcomes. These are measurable areas of our life that by doing them, hopefully we'll give clarity to the health of our relationship with Christ and the health of the relationship that he is, uh, to the mission that he has trusted to us. But just a word of caution, don't tune out right now, don't be flipping pages right now, hear me out because I think this is the danger specifically of where we live, meaning the very churched deep south, that when I give you this list, and I'm usually against giving any kind of list in a sermon, that's why you don't see points ever in my sermon. The fear is that if you take home a list and you tick off all the boxes, you say, there we go, I'm a good Christian. I am great, pastor said it. You can tick all these boxes. Well, I would say you could tick six of the seven and you can completely miss heaven. This is not about ticking boxes. This is not about doing the checklist to make sure that you are where you need to be. Because before we do any of the things, it all begins in our heart. It is a heart's response to who Jesus is and what he has revealed to us in his words. 
So we must remember that every bit of this begins in the heart. It begins with the convictional confession that Jesus is the Christ, and everything else flows outward from that core belief. The why behind what we do matters as much as what we do. Okay, so with all of that being said, the disclaimer has been given. Here are the seven outcomes, the the measurable things of your life that I believe that as the scripture would teach us, that if you are moving and you are seeing growth in these areas, or at least in the first one, that you you have by God's grace accomplished the first one, and then the remaining six are an outflow of that, okay? So number one, most important, this does go in order at least number one into number two. The first expectation, the first outcome that we would believe that you are walking the right path that God has for your life is that you would be born again. And you say, Josh, that seems kind of elementary. Of course, there's so many people who try to do all the things to get born again. What I'm telling you is you can't do the things until you're born again. That's different. This isn't working your way to salvation. This is proving our salvation with a life that is overflowing from the new heart that Christ has placed in us. So I don't want us to miss this, even in this order. What comes first must be being born again by the grace of God through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The second outcome, we're going to go fast from these on and we're going to come back towards the end and talk about them a little bit more slowly, okay? Second thing is that we submit to the word of God as the authority of our life. This book supersedes how we feel, what we think, what emotion we are experiencing currently. This book supersedes all of that. Matter of fact, this book should inform all of that. This is the lens that we look through to navigate all of life that God has trusted to us. Third outcome, third expectation is that we would worship faithfully. And that's not, listen to me, that's not just making sure you're here for one hour every Sunday. This is worshiping faithfully every single day that you have breath in your body. Whether believers are present in the household of God or you are all alone in your house or in your car, in your office space, in your classroom, that you worship faithfully. Fourth outcome that we believe is measurable is that you connect with the body. Your aim in life is not to do this life alone. You are connecting with other believers. Fifth, that you would serve intentionally. That your goal in what God has done in you is to, because God has poured in you, you pour out. You find places that God has gifted you to go and to serve. Sixth, that you would give cheerfully. That you would give in a way that makes your heart glad to know that what God has trusted to you is to be used to advance the kingdom. And finally, how do we know that all of this is working? And I believe that this is where we're going to see the cycle kick back in is that you would make disciples. The goal of the Christian life, we believe, as the Great Commission makes clear to us, is that we are to be people of faith that go out and make disciples that make disciples. And so our hope would be that as we are moving forward, how do we know that we are accomplishing the mission? How do we know that we have the strategy right? How do we know that our values are guiding us well? We believe that these seven things, starting with being born again, but ending with disciples being made, is going to be where the proof lies. Now, you may hear all seven of these, and those are the seven. End. Period. End of story. 
You may hear this and have many different thoughts here, maybe three. Yeah, but isn't every Christ follower supposed to be doing that, not just here at Broadmoor? You are correct. We believe that this list is, is not just specific to this church, but it is for this church because this is our church. We believe that if you were to go to another faith family, you would be able to apply all of these there. Maybe you have a different thought. Yeah, that seems right, but what about, I think you forgot a couple of things. Well, maybe so. I'm not saying this is exhaustive. I'm just telling you that these are measurable things that are going to help you along your journey as you follow the Lord Jesus. Thirdly, and maybe this is where you are today. Hey, maybe you think this seems really hard. Like all of those things seem a little bit foreign than from where you are right now. And of course, there could be many more feelings about this list. This this list is, is for all believers as we, we follow the Lord. We'll talk more about the outcomes toward the end of our time today, but let me show you in the scripture where the heart behind all of these come from. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Here's the words of the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae. Here's what he says. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. All right, so we, we start with the first verse. It sets up everything that we do, and really it sets up our life. So don't, don't miss out on the power of this verse. If you have been raised with Christ, if, meaning if you've repented of your sin, confessed him to be the Christ, and you are walking with him, if that, then this. So these are if-then statements. So if that's true, then what comes next must be true. He says, then seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. When, when you see anyone seated at the right hand of God, that place is the place of a power and authority. So Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Do you remember the disciples arguing where they wanted to be seated? What, what side of Jesus they want to sit on? They want to sit on his right side. Why? Because power and authority are like, hey, look, we know you here, but we want to know you there too. This is the beauty of what the Apostle Paul is saying. Hey, look, before we jump into the things that you must do, you've got to set your mind on the things that are above. If you believe rightly, right living should follow. Proving that belief, that confession to be true. Not perfection, but desiring to think about the king who saved you, redeemed you, and walks with you daily. Let's just take a, a little test around the room. No raising of hands, no pointing fingers, just kind of see where we are. We come to church week in and week out, whether sometimes throughout the week, and we come to celebrate our risen king. Literally a man who walked this earth sinlessly, dies in our place, takes the sin that we had and gives us his righteousness. He takes the full wrath of God and drinks that cup completely. And then he yells out to Telestay, it is finished. You would think he'd be pretty prominent in the life of the people who follow him, right? All right, so here's the question. It's going to sting a little, maybe. How often in your day do you think about your king? How, how many times during the day do you just get lost in wonderment and amazement and thanksgiving for what Christ has done for you? Now, I am not saying that from my high horse thinking, well, I think about Jesus all the time. Usually I'm thinking about what's for lunch? What's for dinner? Is Bluebell on sale? I don't know. 
But truthfully, what is it that keeps us from thinking about him? Usually it's because our mind is on earthly things and not heavenly things. Watch, we'll, we'll talk about this in just a second. So what's the right response? What, what, what is our response to be? Look at verses two and three. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So here's the call to action. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on this earth. It all begins with your mind. What you think about most is what you will soon become. Don't miss that. What you think about most is what you will soon become. Think about negative things, you will soon become negative. Think about things that make you mad, you will soon become mad. Think about things that make you anxious, you will soon become anxious. Other side of that, think about positive things, you'll soon become positive. Think about encouraging things and you will soon become encouraged, but don't miss this. Think about godly and holy things and soon you will desire to be more godly and more holy. Where your mind goes, your actions will be soon to follow. We must remember, we are living in the right now and the not yet. Christ is king. Right now, Jesus is king. Do you believe that, church? Not just one day will he be king, but is he king today? All right. Have you been raised with him? Has that action already happened? When we did this baptism with the brewers just a second ago, it's not a future hope that we have. It's a depiction of what has already taken place in eternity. Christ is king. You have been raised, and heaven is where we are heading. If you start to believe differently, if you start to believe that that is a future version of you, then what you'll do now is live in the world. It's what we do. It's, it's how we live. Because if we think, well, I'm just worldly now, so I might as well live in the world. What Paul would say is, fix your thinking because Christ is king now. You have been raised already, and your home is heaven. So now is the time to practice our heavenly living. Mike and I did not talk about what he was going to say in the sermon line that I was going to use in the sermon, but it's absolutely 100% true. We are practicing now for what eternally we have in store. And so we live out this heavenly living every day. We do this because we have died, and now our life is hidden with Christ in God. Nail this down. You are, by God's grace, already raised with Christ. Now listen, I'm speaking to believers only in this moment. This is not some universal teaching. I am saying for those who have been born again, who have repented of their sin and put hope in Jesus Christ, nail this down. You are, by God's grace, already raised with Christ. The new life he calls you to live is not in order to get him. The new life that you live is because you already have him. Don't miss that. One of those leads to exhaustion and failure. The other one leads to rest and life. Look, Paul gives them a promise along with a call to action. Look at verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. 
All right, with that being true, we move into my favorite part of the letter, the practical application. Because we've been risen with Christ, because we are seeking the things that are above, because our minds are set on heavenly things, and because we belong to Christ, verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. All right, don't read the next word yet. Whatever comes next has to be pretty important to kill. Because he didn't say, subdue it. He didn't say, hold it down. He didn't say, put it in time out. He didn't say, go put it in the back room where you can come back later. He said, find it and kill it. Kill the thing that is earthly in you because evidently it is trying to kill you and you have the power in Christ to kill it. Here's the list that he gives. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, uh, understanding the context of this matters. Number one, this is not an exhaustive list, right? So um, on the podcast this past week, we talked about the difference between prescriptive and descriptive understanding of Scripture. And a lot of times we'll say, well, when he gives a directive, that is, that is prescriptive. It is prescriptive here for them because you got to know in Colossae, there was a lot of bad stuff going down. Primarily, idol worship. And it came in the form of sexual practices. And so what was happening is there would be people who would come to the church and that would be held so closely to them and they would want to hold so closely the things of God that Paul would say the word is going to divide out what is evil and what is good. And so he gives them a list and says to them, these things must go. They must die. You must put them to death. Don't pick them back up. Don't play with them. Don't be around them. The list he gives them, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, to be clear, even though this was meant for them specifically, I don't think it's far away from us today. Paul says to them and us, these things must die. Why? What's the big deal? Verse 6 is the big deal. Because on the account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. What did Jesus go to the cross to satisfy? The wrath of God. Wrath of God against sin. So, again, we talked about it. I believe it was closer to Easter time. But when he, taught, when he was in the garden, and he looks and he prays and he says, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Anytime you hear the cup referenced in Scripture, but particularly the Old Testament, what did the cup represent? What was inside the cup? It was the wrath of God to be poured out on all sin. And so what Jesus does is on the cross, he drinks the entire cup, the entire wrath of God. So he satisfies the wrath of God on our behalf. So where there was wrath, there's now righteousness. And so what Paul is saying here for the believers, look, Jesus died and rose again that we may walk away from those things. So walk away from those things. Because in the account of these things, these things is why the wrath of God is coming. These things are the things that separate us from the Father. Now look, N.T. Wright had a great, uh, a British theologian had a great thought on this. God's wrath against sin is here right now. And yet it continues to come, but one day in its fullness, it will totally consume. 
as we live today in the choices we make and the lives we choose to live, listen, we are either moving towards God and growing in life or we are moving away from God and growing in death. At the end of our days, one of those two are going to consume us. Eternal life in Christ or eternal death in ourselves and in our sin. This is why, listen, this, this, this would be N.T. Wright's thought on this. This is why when you look at someone who's deep in the life of sin, they look hollow, empty, and dead because they have pursued a life of death for so long. But also, on the other hand, that's why when you look at someone who has pursued Christ and had their mind in the heavenly things, that you look at them and they seem to have life. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying this is just complete across the board. And I'm not saying there's not a point where, where anybody who is lost can't be found. But the longer you stay in sin, the more you get comfortable with death. The longer you toy around with the things God told you to leave behind, the more you find your home in the things that God called you away from. To be clear, N.T. Wright nor, neither N.T. Wright nor the scriptures are advocating a works-based salvation. But the scriptures are clear. What you do and how you live is proof of what you truly believe. Here's Paul's encouragement to the believers. Verse 7. In these you too once walked, when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. And he gives another list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and now you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Paul uses a simple but effective illustration to explain this process. Put off the old self. When you hear put off, put on, this is one of my favorite passages because I think the illustration is just great. Put off, put on means to, to take your clothes and to take them off and put them on. But the imagery here is you were dead and you were now raised from the dead and you had grave clothes on. Take those grave clothes off and put on clothes that are going to bring life. Why would live people wear dead clothes? Why would somebody who has years ahead of them wear grave clothes today? So Paul says to them, put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self by being renewed in the knowledge of God. Remember the entire letter is in view of these statements, to put off death, put off self, and to put on life, put on Christ. Now look at the power of verse 11. Here, in this moment, when we understand this rightly, when we live in the personal work of Christ and we're putting off ourself and we're taking on Christ, verse 11. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and is in all. All right, so in Christ, there's no variation of God's view of love towards somebody. No Greek and Jew. All right, let me tell you the difference in those two. Uh, Greek would be Gentile. Jew would be of the family of God, the lineage of, of that family, Abraham's family. So go back to the first century when this is written. These distinctions matter. Matter of fact, you go back all the way to, to the Old Testament and you would see the temple. There was the place where Jews could go in and worship, but on the outer courts of that was the court of the Gentile. 
And that was kind of far away. And there were even signs that said, Gentile, if you come past here, you could be killed, for we do not believe that you have the right to enter into this place. So Jesus comes in, knocks out the wall that, that is dividing them, the wall of hostility. Then he says, no circumcised and uncircumcised, no religious markings and non-religious markings. Barbarian and Scythian. Now these two are kind of unique. One is not religious and one is really not religious. No slave and free. No one is better or worse in the kingdom of God. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. Okay. These categories do matter to the world. But for those in Christ, Christ is all that matters. As we are being renewed in the image of our creator, we notice a change in how we view us and what we do. Aren't you thankful when you think of the gospel, you aren't who you were? Aren't you thankful that you're not known in heaven by what you used to do and the people you used to run with? That's great news. The question is, though, do you apply that same measurement of grace to the people you do life with? Meaning, we love grace for us, we love mercy for us, but we want judgment for them. God, thank you for not giving me what I deserve, but could you give them a double portion of what they deserve? What the gospel is teaching us is that dividing line is broken down. Not only for us, but how we view others. If we are in Christ, we are new. We are no longer known by who we were and what we've done. In the same way, in Christ, because of his work, we no longer see people by anything other than who Christ is and what he has done in their life. The flesh wants to mark and divide, but the spirit wants to unite and heal. Church, we are a people of the spirit, not of the flesh. Well, in this day's, today's section, with a powerful, encouraging call to action, look at verse 12 and following. So if if all of those things were the hard things, here's the good Put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. When you do these things, when you practice these things, something incredible happens. Look at verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. All right, church. So as we put on life every day, As we practice heavenly living every day, the peace of Christ rules in our hearts. We become thankful, and the word dwells in us richly. All right, so if you look back at that and you say, it's kind of reverse reading. You say, Josh, I don't feel the peace of Christ in my heart. I'm not very thankful in this season of my life, and I am having trouble even wanting to open God's word, much less allowing it to dwell in me. My question would be for you as it would be for me. Where's your mind? 
if you've been born again, if you have been made new in Christ, is your mind set in glory or is it here on earth? Because I promise you guys, there's enough here on earth to distract you and miss out on the blessing that God has for you today. Don't believe me, just cut on the news. Don't believe me, just scroll through any news app you have. It is going to take work. That's why it is called a discipline. That's why it is called practicing your faith. In the world that we live that is shouting for our attention, it is hard for the believer to put his focus, her focus, where it should be. You say, Josh, okay, but, but I still got to live. I still got to work. I still got to work in the hard. Like, I, I want to I set my mind in heavenly things and holy things, but you don't see the people I got to work with. You don't know the job that I have. You don't know the condition that I'm in. You don't know the things I have to do on a daily basis. I do not know you that way. But I'm thankful God's word knows what we need in that moment. Look at verse 17. As if we needed anything to make this entire sermon or section of scripture crystal clear, he gives it to us in verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. When you see the phrase, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that means that it is representative of who he is, what he has done, and what he calls others to believe. Everything we do, Christian, is as a representative for Christ. A great question to ask yourself as you're going about your day when you're around others or when you're all by yourself, all right? So here's the questions I ask me. They're very simple. Sometimes I don't like my answers to my questions, but the questions are the same nonetheless. Does me doing this, saying this, taking part in this, represent Christ well? Does me doing this, saying this, or taking part of this, represent Christ well? If yes, then do it with joy. But if no, guess what you should not do it. I know that seems really simple. I know that seems elementary. But church, listen to me. It's not that hard. If what you are doing doesn't represent him well, stop doing it. If what we are doing is giving a poor representation of the goodness of our God, the God that we love, the God that saved and redeemed us, then we should do all in our power to stop doing that thing and do something different. Christian, this is not an extreme way of living. This is the normal Christian life. This is the everyday Christ-honoring life. If we're not there, then church, we have some course correction to make today. Living as representatives of Christ should be our greatest joy. Living as representatives of Christ should be our greatest joy because we get to tell people about the King who saved us. So, to our question for today, when will we know we are successfully living out the mission that God has called us to? when with great joy we are living as ambassadors of Christ. As our worship team comes back up, when we move into a response time, I want you to remember those seven, seven outcomes. And I want you to hear it this way, that as you are applying these things, number one is number one. You can't do two through seven 
if number one doesn't happen. But as we do those things, is there joy and gladness in your heart? As we are born again, submitting to God's word, worshiping faithfully, connecting to the body, serving intentionally, giving cheerfully, and making disciples. In all of these outcomes, they are held together by the love of Christ and the love towards our brothers and sisters. So, as we close and you think through your response today, where are you today in these? We believe they're measurable. I think you can measure each one of those. The first one is the most important. Are you born again? Mm. Well, Josh, I don't know because I did like, I made like 17 sinners prayers. I got baptized three times. I don't know by this point. All right, let me, let me try it a different way. Do you delight in the king who saved you? Are you happy he knows your name? Is it your desire, even in your fallenness, even in your brokenness, is it your desire to please him and make much of him? Because I think that matters. Because remember, the goal of salvation isn't to get somebody to say a prayer. It's not to get somebody to walk an aisle and clap them into the church. The goal of salvation is to bring them from death to life from self to Christ. That's why the declaration that Peter makes is so important when it comes to understanding salvation. When Jesus looks at his disciples and he asks the question, who do people say that I am? And they give their list and then he turns and looks at him and he says, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ of God. Do you believe that to be true? Because listen to me, church, you will not find a sinner's prayer in the Bible. But when the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that the Lord rose him, that God raised him again on the third day, then you will be saved. That's the confession that he's talking about. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ of God? Now, does your life prove that confession to be true? So, where are you today? Old self or new self? Living for Christ and growing in life? Or living for self and growing in death? I'll end. This is, this is supposed to be light, but I don't know if it will be. It depends on how it hits you. Back to N.T. Wright's thought. If you continue in life, if you continue in Christ, the things of life and the things of Christ are going to become more desirable to you and come more easily to you. But if you continue in death and you continue in self, those things will become more easy to you. What's more easy to you today? Life or death? Christ or self? I wish I could choose it for you. I would. But you have to choose it. I am begging you with all that I am, choose Christ. Be born again 
and live out those other six that we laid out before you with joy and excitement, knowing that he is with you, he has raised you, and he has called you to this great task. He is good. Don't be tricked by the enemy. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life like you cannot imagine. Choose life today, church. Choose Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for the gift of your timely word. I thank you for it in my life. God, I know that I belong to you. But I know, sadly, there are too many times that I choose death over life. And even as I say it, it sounds dramatic. But I think it sounds softer in my mind and heart because I'll say, well, it just feels good and I want to do that. Or I think that's right. Or that makes sense to me in my mind. And never in the process do I go to you and ask for wisdom. That your word clearly says, if anybody needs it, just ask and you'll give it. You make clear that the world is trying to kill, steal, and destroy. The enemy's trying to do that. And yet too often, we don't just walk with it, we run with it. But Lord, may your words ring loudly in our ears. That you offer to us life. Life more abundant than we could have ever hoped, asked for, or imagined. So help us now see what is true through your Spirit's grace in our life and help us to respond rightly. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray and stand. Church, would you stand with me?